Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy 2021. This morning is our seventh year anniversary as a church plant. Seven years. Man, time flies. Seems like yesterday we just started. Seven years of really God's faithfulness, caring for us, meeting us. And specifically, to be able to say that, and this is no small thing, that over the seven years, all the people that I know that have been part of Christ Church, that have been members of Christ Church, that have professed faith in Christ, have remained in the faith for seven years. And that is no small thing. <laughs> so I celebrate that, that the Spirit of the living God has worked in our hearts, and you've cooperated in a way so that I can say that all the members are still following Christ that were seven years ago. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to bring us to Hebrews chapter 10. So if you want to open your Bibles there, I want to begin the new year. Andrew's going to come and read to us Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. And I want to begin this new year by having him read this to us. And then we're going to unpack it together as we look into the new year as a, as a church uh, together. So Andrew, come on here, buddy. Everyone's, we're in Hebrews 10, um, beginning in verse 19. Yeah, yeah, you can take your mask off. Take your time. There's no rush. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, to his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession 
an abiding, and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. We have a 2005 Jeep with 200,000 miles on it. Typically, on any given day, one or all of the warning lights on the dash on our Jeep go off. <laughs> They're constantly going off. Check engine light, low air pressure in the tires, check oil, transmission light. The dash on our Jeep looks like a Christmas tree lit up most of the time. And my reaction to these warning lights going off is not always joyful gratitude. Typically, I'm thinking, not again. <laughs> right, Abigail? Abigail's the one who usually drives the Jeep most. It's like, there's another light on. I just got the light off, and now there's two lights on. I get those two lights off, and another one pops on. Usually, there's frustration and low-grade or high-grade anger associated with the warning lights. But when I'm in my right mind, and if we're in our right mind, we should see the warning lights really as a good thing, right? Without them, I would have no idea that the tires were low and I could end up with a flat stuck on the side of the road. Without the warning light of my oil light going on and not putting more oil in it again, my engine might seize up and leave us stranded in the middle of an intersection. Without those lights, my transmission might overheat due to a lack of fluid and leave me stranded on the side of the road. Warning lights, these warning lights are actually a gift meant to protect us, to protect me from destroying my engine, getting a flat tire, burning up the transmission. And if we take, if I take these warning lights seriously, I will be able to continue down the road safely to my desired destination. This passage is full of warning lights. As we read this, as Andrew read this to us, as we worked our way through this passage, there were warning lights going off left and right. I don't know if you caught some of them or most of them. I want to walk you through the warning lights. I don't know if you have a pen or if you circle stuff in your Bible. These are words I would circle or are circled in my Bible. Warning lights going off. Verse 23, we are warned against wavering. Verse 26, we're warned against sinning deliberately. Verse 35, we're warned against throwing away our confidence. Again, in verse 36, we see you have need for endurance. There's a, there's a warning that you might not endure. In verse 38, we're warned that we might shrink back. So there's warning lights all over the place as we read this passage. And not only are there warning lights, but God reveals to us the consequences if we ignore the warning lights. 
So if we ignore wavering and sinning deliberately, if we ignore the warning that we could throw away our confidence or shrink back, there's, there's consequences. Verse 27 tells us there's a fearful expectation of judgment. Again in verse 27, a fury of fire. Verse 28, punishment. Verse 30, vengeance. Again in verse 30, judgment. Verse 31, the fear of falling into the hands of the living God. Verse 39, being destroyed. I mean, these are serious, weighty consequences if we ignore the warning signs that God gives us here in Hebrews chapter 10. And isn't just kind of God, I just love it when I read stuff like this, how kind of God that he would put these warning lights in there rather than wait to see how we live our lives and then force us just to succumb to the consequences of not heeding them. Just really, what, what an ending love of our God. What, what mercy, what abundant kindness from him that he would give us these warnings. And I think we also need to know that from a human perspective, the original recipients of this letter, they don't seem like the, people, the type of people who needed to hear the warning. I mean, look with me at verse 32. Do these sound like the type of people that need to be warned that they might shrink back? But you recall the former days, verse 32, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I mean, think about these people. I mean, they are suffering. They're under persecution. They head off to prison to bring food to their friends. They come back, and their house is empty. The government has emptied their home, and the response is joy. They, they rejoiced over the fact that they had nothing when they returned to their house. You would think that of all the people on the planet, these people do not be, need to be warned that they might shrink back from the faith. Yet, God doesn't think so. And if you look at verse 35, he tells us that it's very possible that they throw away their faith or their confidence. Verse 36, that they even need endurance. <laughs> they are in need of endurance. In other words, be encouraged by your past fruit, he would tell them, but don't put your hope in it. Take heed and look at the warning signs. Now, I'm aware that everyone here processes life differently and that some of us handle suffering and trials and affliction with confidence and endurance. But then when life gets easy and comfortable, it's easier for us to waver or sin or shrink back. While others in this room and listening uh, you seem to have great faith when life is predictable, comfortable, and easy. But when suffering comes, trials come, you waver or sin or shrink back. So everybody's in a different place. But the warning here, I think, is for all of us. The warning's here for everyone here. And perhaps the, the point of God exposing or showing us all of these warnings is to expose where our confidence really lies. Uh, if you look, this passage is sort of bookended with this word confidence. Look at verse 19. He begins with, Therefore, brothers, 
since we have confidence. And then in verse 5, he says, 35, he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. So it seems like what he's trying to do, he's trying to say, look, if you have confidence right now, don't take it for granted and don't assume that you will always have the same measure of confidence. So there is a real, I, I don't always feel this or think this, but there's a real possibility that any one of us could begin with confidence and then end up throwing it away. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who'd seem like they began with such confidence in the gospel and in Christ, but as of right now, or maybe they have always thrown it away. They've left it behind. But in God's mercy, in this passage, he not only sets off the warning lights to get our attention, but he also tells us what to do to avoid the consequences that come if we don't heed the warnings. He tells us exactly what to do, and that's what we're going to focus this morning. I love this. He tells us two things that we have, and then three things that we are to do. So there's two things here that we already have to help you from wandering and falling away and drifting, and then three things we are to do in order to apply those two things. You tracking with me? So that's where we're going this morning. So two things that we have. These are the two since we have statements at the beginning of this. So verse 19, therefore, brothers, here's the first one, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So the first thing that we have is that through the blood and the body of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy place of God. We have confidence to enter the holy place of God. This is a new way, he says. It's a living way, which tells you the old way was a dead way and an insufficient way. But this new way is a living way. The old way, you guys know this, was through the blood of an animal, right? They'd sacrifice an animal to try to get in. This is, this is an alive way. Jesus is alive now, and through his blood and his body, we enter into the holy place. And the text tells us that Jesus did that by tearing the curtain. Remember, it was a curtain that separated God's presence, God's holiness, where God was from the people. And then only the priest could go in once a year with a sacrifice for the people for their sins. And we know that when Jesus died, that the curtain was torn in two. And here it says it was pushed aside or was opened so that we could walk through it into the very presence of God. So he's saying to us very, very clearly here, we have this. We have this access. You have confidence to enter, to spend time in the holy place with the holy God. So that's the first we have. Now let's look at the second we have. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So you and I have a great priest who is over the house of God. He is a great priest, and I think what makes him great, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that this priest is over the house of God. The other priests were in the house of God, right? They were about the house of God. This high priest, what makes him great is he has authority. He is over the house of God. He rules the house of God, and this is good. 
This is good news for us. And we don't, we don't feel, I don't think I feel the impact or the significance of this statement that he is a great high priest over the house of God because I don't see my need for a high priest. I mean, how many of us got up this morning and thought, I really have the need for a high priest today? We don't think that way. When we do, this becomes really, really good news. I mean, think about the Old Testament covenant and what it meant. The high priest, he was your advocate. He brought the animal in for you so your sins could be covered. He was your mediator. He, he sacrificed the lamb between you and God. And he's the only one that was able to do that for you. So that was good news, and there was some hope in that. Some. But we know there wasn't all hope in that. It was just some hope, because you guys know that that priest was sinful too. So he'd have to go in first and beg forgiveness and slay an animal for his own sins, and then he would bring your sacrifice in and sacrifice that for your sins. So he was flawed. And the sacrifice he brought was flawed. That's why he had to do it over and over and over and over again. Thousands and thousands of sheep and birds over and over again in order for sins just to be covered up in the Old Testament, not even forgiven. And with this, the high priest couldn't even enter the holy places, really, of God's presence with you. He couldn't take you with him into the holy places. But the author of Hebrews is just so clear that we have a better high priest. We have the best high priest because he is able to not just cover sin, but to forgive sin and remove sin. And he is in the presence of God because he is God as your mediator, constantly pleading his blood for your sins. And so through that, through his flesh, now the curtain is open so we have access to God. All right, so we have two things. We have confidence into the holy place, and then once we get into the holy place, we have a great high priest who's there to meet us on the other side of the curtain. And that, that's really good news. That is the only way we will ever have access to God. So now he tells us what to do with this. These are just facts. But what do we do with this information? How do we respond? So he tells us three things to do. You guys look at verse 22. We begin with these let us statements. So verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then down in verse 24, let us consider. So to help us remember this, I brought lettuce. Get it? Thank you. Thank you for the applause. I know it's silly, but I want you to remember that there are three things we are to do. Three things we are commanded to do. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who likes lettuce? I'm probably not allowed to pass it to anybody because I'll get germs on it. So, Andrew, you can get that afterwards. I'll wipe it down with lotion or something. <laughs> huh? Yeah, sanitizer, lotion, whatever. So number one, first one here. Let us draw near. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I, I think, 
and if you've ever read the whole book of Hebrews along, this is probably the author's single greatest passion in this book. It is that you and I would draw near to God. That Jesus made a way for us to draw near to God. He wants us to see that Jesus is better, greater, more glorious, and powerful, more sufficient than any other high priest that's ever lived so that we can draw near to God. This phrase, draw near, is used seven times throughout the book of Hebrews. And I I think this is his focus too because on their own, verses 19 to 21, they don't make any sense, do they? I mean, verses 19 to 21 just hang in space without verse 22. Look at it again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, right? It hangs in space. You got to complete it. So all of that is building up to this statement. Use those truths, those things you have, that reality to draw near to God. Now you may ask, why am I completing the sentence with God? It doesn't say God there. It just let us draw near So we got to backtrack. You can believe me, or you can look these up later, that in verse, chapter 7, verse 19, it says very clearly, draw near to God. In chapter 7, again in verse 26, it says, draw near to God. In chapter 4, verse 16, it says, draw near to the throne of grace. Chapter 11, verse 6, it says, draw near to God. So I think it's pretty clear, and in the context, that he's saying, draw near to God. He wants us to draw near to God. We are being not just commanded here, but literally invited. Invited by God to draw near to him. God wants you close to him. And this, again, will seem insignificant unless you know what God is like, right? When we see God for who he really is and we realize God invites us to draw near to him, it becomes an amazing thing. When the God of infinite worth and beauty, possessing everything within himself that you and I could ever dream of, offers himself to be your closest companion, that is a breathtaking reality. Absolutely breathtaking for us. And right here, he addresses the very thing that stops us from doing it. Did you catch it? See, the physical curtain may have been removed, but there remains another curtain, a strong and powerful curtain that discourages us and often stops us from drawing near to God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Your evil conscience is often what stops you from drawing near to God. I don't know if you're like me, my conscience and come up with a hundred reasons why I shouldn't and cannot draw close to God. You ever been there? My conscience works hard convincing me that I have no, I'm in no spiritual condition to draw near to God. That's what my conscience does. You you don't deserve to go near to God. You shouldn't go to God. God doesn't want you to come to him. It speaks lies. And I want you to notice that, hear what it says. It is an evil conscience. Your evil 
conscience. So you should have this category functioning in your life. When your conscience prevents you from drawing near to God, it's evil. You got that? Now your conscience, mixed with the Holy Spirit, should do other things for us. But here, the warning is, what could prevent you from drawing near to God is that your conscience is evil, and it's going to tell you things that are not true about God. It may tell you things that are true about you, because you're not worthy to draw near to God. But it's not going to tell you things that are true about God that allow you to draw near to Him. And that's why this passage starts in verse 19 with the word, therefore. Therefore. And you guys know that when we see the word therefore, what do we do? What's it there for? We ask the therefore, what's it there for? And so we know that it most of the time points backwards. So I'm just going to go backwards to verse 14. This is, the, this is the challenge of jumping into the middle of a book without having studied it all the way up to this. But verse 14 of chapter 10, look what it says. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So here we have people who are now, because of Jesus' single sacrifice, are perfect. You're perfect. And you are being sanctified. Let's keep reading. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Another way of saying, it is finished. You are forgiven. So how do you battle your evil conscience telling you, I should not draw near to God? I am not worthy to draw near to God. I can't draw near to God. God does not want me to draw near to him. Here's what you do. You go back to verse 14. You say, no, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. And then you go to verse 16 to say, I'm forgiven. I'm perfect and I'm forgiven. I'm perfect and I'm forgiven. Now, does that sound like anything we've studied for the past seven years? That is justification, right? We have talked about this since day one, that justification is two sides of a coin. Side one is forgiven. You are forgiven of all your sins, but then you stand morally neutral before God. You don't have the bad stuff you've been forgiven, but you don't have the good stuff that you need in order to be righteous before God. So what does Jesus do? He clothes you in his righteousness. That's what he does, which is what it says here, exactly the same thing, only he uses different language. You are perfected. You have all the good stuff, and verse 18, you're forgiven. That is what your evil conscience needs to hear. When you are hesitant to draw near to God, when you hesitate to draw near to God, when you begin to waver from, one, from drawing near to God, when you shrink back from wanting to draw near to God, what do you do? You remind your sinful, evil conscience that you are perfect and forgiven. That the blood of Christ has made you perfect so that you can now enter the holy place through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is really good news for us this morning. So the author Hebrew here is just saying to you, draw near, don't waver, don't shrink back, no, draw near to God. The second lettuce. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. So here, here he's saying, what you confess to be true, and this has to do with speaking something out loud, speaking something that belongs to you. You're talking about this thing belonging to you. You hold fast to that. You hold firm to what you possess. In this case, it's where your hope lies. It's where your hope is. And I think this is connected to the last lettuce. Confess that it's true that you are forgiven and clothed, perfect and forgiven, that you can go draw near to God because of his son's sacrifice for your sins. We can draw near. And I, I think this literally looks like what the text says. It's you confessing. I don't know if you pray out loud. If I pray any other way, I fall asleep. So I pray out loud most of the time. And I pray these things. And we need to pray these things to God. I, I draw near to you, God. We can draw near to God anytime, any place, under any circumstances. God, I draw near to you. My, my heart, I love the heart's word, my heart is sprinkled clean. It is sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. My hope in drawing near to you right now is based on your, you see the phrase, his faithful promises at the end of verse 23. He who promised is faithful. In other words, he's not going to change his mind. One day it's not, you come to me by the blood of Christ, and the next day it's, you better be good enough to come to me. No, his promises are faithful. They're consistent, and we put our hope in that. That's the confession of my hope. I, I confess to you, this is true. You have access to draw near to God anytime and anywhere because you have been perfected and forgiven, because your conscience has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that where you set your hope? For true satisfaction and joy. I want to draw near to God to get everything my heart wants. I think sometimes the confession of my hope, although I may not say it verbally, is in other things. I go to other things to find what I should be finding in God. I draw near to other stuff in my heart instead of to God. The list of things we can move towards thinking I put my hope in this. We don't say that, but that's what we're doing. It'll give me what I'm looking for in life, as opposed to drawing near to God, whether it's your job or money or sex or our kids going back to school or being healthy or if the government would just do a certain thing or entertainment, whatever it is. There, there's things, I think, that are always biding for our attention of drawing near. What are you drawing near to? And so this is just Warning, just the, the warning is just echoing through this passage that if you, if you continue to put your hope in the wrong things, if the confession of your heart's hope is actually in other things and it stops you from drawing near to God, you will waver over time. And that wavering will lead to sinning deliberately, which will lead to you throwing away your confidence, causing you to shrink back, and he says be destroyed in the end. I mean, that is terrifying to think that we're all potentially could head in that direction. So what do we do? Well, we confess our hope. We speak our hope. We tell our souls, soul, this is what you really need to hope in, the faithfulness of God, that I can draw near to him so that my soul will find everything it is looking for in this life. And that's what he calls us to do. That's what he invites us to do in this passage. Third lettuce. 
Look at verse 24. This may be the one we're most familiar with as a church. We talk about this one a lot. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is the third lettuce, which is basically the call to community. It's you need one another. You need to draw near to God, yes. You need to confess that you need to draw near to God and and act on it. And then you need others to help you to not waver and shrink back. And so he puts it in the positive first. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Then he puts it in the negative. Do not neglect meeting together as a habit of some. And then he puts it back in the positive. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it goes positive, negative, and the positive. The neglecting there, I know that it's really easy for a pastor to use that to get people to come to church on a Sunday. I don't know if it's that. It's really the context that the author is looking for, but it's a setting where people are able to encourage one another. So there's a setting where people are not to neglect coming together so they can encourage each other, so they can stir each other up to love and to good works. Love meaning your heart helping each other love Jesus more, love God more, love the Spirit more, and then good works, living for Christ. We talk about being a disciple, right? We want to know God, love God, and live for God. So this this covers two of those, at least. We're to love Him more, and we need each other to help us do that. And this protects us from wavering. (laughs) This protects us from sinning deliberately and throwing away our confidence. We need other people in our lives. We need people to encourage us. And we need to be encouragers. We've talked before about that word, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, which means when you head to community group, when you head to men's men's or ladies meetings, you should be considering, hmm, who should I stir up today to love and good works? And how should I stir them up to love and good works? What, What can I give to them? What can I help them with? How can I encourage them towards love and toward good, towards good works. These are, this is a proactive moving forward as we go into a setting to make, really, to make disciples. Because we know we cannot do that in isolation. So we're to consider those things. So we've been doing this as community groups for a long time, haven't we? Being part of a community group where we go intentionally ready to stir up other people, to encourage other people to love and to good works, to good deeds. So in response, kind of a summary here, three things we're supposed to do, three let us, draw near to God. You you don't want to waver, do you, in 2021? I pray that everyone that's following Jesus right now, next year this time, will be following Jesus even stronger. So how do we make sure that happens? Well, draw near to God. Draw near to Him. Confess your hope in God to God. Confess it. And then meet with others to give and receive encouragement. That seems to be God's formula here for how we make sure that we don't waver. And so I join this morning God's, my voice to God's voice and to the voice of the author of Hebrews. And I warn you, if you are not in the habit of drawing near to God, if you are not holding fast to your hope in God's faithful promises— If you are neglecting to meet with others, you are on a path 
to destruction. That's what the warning is. So, so hear the warning. People in TV land, hear the warning. If you are not in the habit of drawing near to God and holding fast to your hope in his promises, and if you are neglecting to meet with others, you are on a path to destruction. You need to know that Tyler Jordan and I take this very seriously. Very seriously. So when we preach, we do it with the aim of preaching in such a way that you are able to draw near to God and you're encouraged to draw near to God. That's why we preach the gospel every time we preach. We want you to remember, I have access to draw near to God because of Christ. We want you to remember that. So we preach that. When we counsel you, we're going to tell you to set your hope in God. We're not going to give you formulas on how to solve your problem. We're going to speak Jesus into your situation. We're going to attach something about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do to your life challenge. That's why we're encouraging scripture memory as a church. That's why we have the new Bible reading plan. All means to drawing near to God. They're, They're a way to get to God. This is not God. This gets us to God. This is how we understand God. This is the reality of who God is. And so we memorize this and we, we read this regularly as a means to draw near to God. And we continue to trumpet community groups since day one so that you have a place to go to get encouragement and to give encouragement, to be a disciple, get discipled, and to make disciples, to help other people love Jesus more and for you to love Jesus more, to stir up other people in your group to, to good works and for you to be stirred up to good works. That's the reason community exists. It exists for mission. It exists so you will grow and you will go. That's the point. And so we we encourage us all to participate in some sort of a community group setting. And so that brings us to the final application, kind of where this this is headed, um, drawing near to God and confessing your hope to God, but this meeting together with one another. So I shared this in in a video announcement a while ago, and I just want to expand on it a little bit more and make sure we all understand it. So as Tyler Jordan and I have talked about this new year and the unknowns of the next who knows how long months, our burden is that every member of Christ Church would have some setting small enough that they would feel comfortable going to to get encouraged and to be encouraged. We feel like this is a conviction we have based on this passage and other passages. And, and I, I'm honestly the storyline of the Bible um, about community. So what we're doing is we're trying to create groups of three in the church so that every member of Christ Church is in a group of three. Three because when you start getting bigger, you can sneak in and sneak out without saying anything. We don't want that. Or because you show it's something you really do want to share, but there's too many people there and you don't have time. So we think three is a healthy number. It seems like it is a good number. We're encouraging these groups to meet once a week. So that if you miss one, you still hit three times a month. We're encouraging these groups to be short, like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. We think that's probably better, less time, more frequent than three hours once a month. So we want to spread it out so that we know over the course of a month, every member of Christ Church has had four opportunities to sit with others, to be encouraged, and to encourage each other. So that's the plan. We're still in the process of identifying leaders, figuring out who the leaders are going to be for each one of those groups. We said there's probably going to be 20 to 24 groups out there. But we want it to be a place where everyone gets cared for. 
where no one is able to wander away, to help everyone endure to the end so that no one will waver, so we can help each other, not sin deliberately. And we've got to—we've shrunk down what we want to see accomplished in those meetings. And so we've got basically just three things that are going to happen in those meetings. Bree, can you put that slide up? So very simply— we have three categories. These are not new for any of you guys. We want to do something in the go category. So every time you meet, it's just very simple. So who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? How are you loving them? What's your next step to care for them or to reach out to them? We want to view and apply the Sunday message, something we've done since day one. We're not about Bible studies, although we want you to study. So you should study. You can study in your group, Hebrews, but we're not doing new Bible studies in our groups because there's way too much here to apply. This is a lifetime of applying. So we don't want to skip over and be hearers of the word and not doers. So we're applying the passage from Sunday, and then we're finding out what area of life do you need Jesus to be spoken into? Where are you struggling? Where are you hurting? Where are your temptations, your trials? How can, I, how can we speak Jesus to you? What area of your life do we need to speak Jesus to? So I try to figure out a way to make this memorable. And gas was the only way to do it. <laughs> and that can be taken lots of different ways, but... I'm trying to like how, and I try to come up with fancy, I, whatever. I, I, I don't know whether that helps you, but go, apply, speak. That's what you're going to do in your groups. Encourage each other to love and good works. Who, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? And what steps are you taking to help them encounter Jesus through your life? Go. We're helping each other, encourage each other in that. We're applying scripture, applying the Sunday message to our lives. And then what area of life do you want me to speak Jesus into for you? So those are questions we're going to ask each other. And just so you know, even though if you're in a group of three, and then for some of you, you're like, whoa, three, that's too small. I might have to say something. There's no pressure. This isn't going to be like, twist your arm. You've got to answer the question. Um, this, is there to, this is there to serve you, to help you, to encourage you, to help you. Especially because I think it's possible, and I don't know where, who knows where our society is going over the next six months, but this guarantees at least hopefully there's a setting that you would feel comfortable meeting with the same people. And maybe it has to be Zoom. I don't know. But some setting where, you know, every week I'm getting an hour and 10 minutes with these other two people just to, just to dump my life on and to get help, to apply God's word, to be encouraged, and to give encouragement. So that's the little plan. We kind of boiled it down to those three. That was pretty much it. And we thought that's, that's more than enough for, for an hour meeting every week. But it's our way. I think it's, it's Tyler Jordan's my way of, of loving you and caring for you and wanting to really prevent you from falling into the warnings that we see here in Hebrews. We don't want anybody to waver. I think that's my biggest fear over the last year was the amount, lack of time with everybody and, and fearful of who might be wavering that I don't know they're wavering because I don't see them as much. Who might be sinning deliberately that I don't know about? And I was not seeing them to, to ask them how they're doing. Who's not enduring to the end? Who might be throwing away their confidence or losing their confidence? Who might not be enduring? Who could be shrinking back? So our hope is that these little groups, January, February, March, we're, we're going to do it through May, will be a way to help you to get and to give the encouragement that you need to have in order to not fall into or succumb to these warnings that we read here in Hebrews. So that's it, church. Welcome to 2021. Draw near to God. Confess your hope in God to God and meet with others to give and receive encouragement. Can we do that? Simple, I think. Simple yet doable 
The question is, will we act and do it or not? It's really the bottom line. I think it's crystal clear what we are to do. I want to pray that we do it. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us. God, I, I do pray to specifically that everyone right now who loves you and fears you and is walking with you, that next year, on the first Sunday in January, they would still love you and fear you and be walking with you. Jesus, that is our prayer. God, we need you or we will wander. We need you or we will shrink back. We desperately need you or we will throw away our confidence. And so, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. May we live these verses in Hebrews 10. May we draw near to you. God, I pray that each day as we draw near to you, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would open our hearts to you and your ways, that we would encounter the living God. I pray, Jesus, that when our evil conscience condemns us and tells us we shouldn't go after God, that we would believe what is true about ourselves, that we are forgiven and clothed, that we are perfect in your sight because of your Son. And God, may that drive us to draw near to you even more. Protect us from the lies that somehow we can only draw to you when we've measured up to some level of spirituality. May we always cling to your faithful promises that we can come to you through the blood of Christ anytime and in any way. And Lord Jesus, I pray for these groups of three and as people gather together and share their lives and apply the word and encourage each other to love their lost friends and neighbors, that your spirit would descend on each group every time they meet. Holy Spirit, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's in someone's kitchen, wherever that meeting takes place, I ask your spirit to descend, that they would encounter you, that everyone would go ready to be encouraged and to encourage, and God, that you would help us to persevere and not to neglect meeting together. God, it's clear that that's the habit of some people. May that not be the habit of us. I pray that no one in Christ church would ever or could ever be accused of neglecting to meet together. Instead, God, may we be eager for the sake of our brothers and sisters and for our own sake to meet together, to encourage one another, to stir up each other to love and good works. And so, Holy Spirit, do that work in our church, we pray. Protect us. Spirit, descend on us. May we draw near to you this coming year in greater and more consistent ways than we ever have before. May we encounter your presence and your power and your life-giving love in fresh and new ways, I pray.